This episode was recorded and produced on the land of the Gamaragal people, the Aboriginal people of Manly and Northern Sydney. I acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land and pay my respect to any elders, past, present or emerging. Hey crew, welcome back to the High People Podcast, episode 16, and as always, thank you so much um, for tuning in. It is a lot of fun bringing these episodes, and I can't actually believe we're up to episode 16, which is really, really cool. So we'll just keep ticking along and keep bringing some good stories when and where we can. So as usual, please subscribe um, to where you get your podcasts from, uh, social media, give it a like, give it a follow, all these things add up, and it's just awesome to see the interaction uh, and the feedback. So this episode uh, is a big one. There's a lot of heavy topics discussed. Um, there's a lot of things that are really good reflection. There's a lot of vulnerability. There's a lot of real issues um, being dealt with in this one, uh, which is a really, really interesting listen. This is the story of Matt Taylor, and we go into depth about you know, what he has been through in life and where he's journeyed, what he's gone through, um, and ultimately, which is the great news and a somewhat of a spoiler alert, where his life's at now, which is in a really positive sense, which is which is great to hear. So it goes without saying, you know, if you are going through anything in your life at the moment, please seek help. Uh, please seek to, to look to these things, look to someone to speak to, and the professional services are also available as well, which you'll find in the show notes. But really keen to release this episode. It's a really great chat, and um, yeah, looking forward to it. So without further ado... This is the story of Matthew Taylor. So the next guest um, on the High People podcast is Matthew Taylor, who I've known for the last two to three years now through my cricket club at Northern Districts Cricket. And uh, it is awesome to have a chat with him. I'm looking forward to exploring uh, his life, uh, his journey and I know a lot of this conversation came off the back of an article, which we're, we're going to talk about as well, which I was just uh, incredibly impressed with, his vulnerability to talk about these type of things, but also to, I suppose, just to, to put a light on some things as well, and in the cricket world, um, that is big. So I'm really excited to explore that. But Matty, welcome to the High People Podcast, mate. It's uh, great to have you on. Thank you, Clates. Yeah, my, uh, my role in life is usually to... Uh sort of advise people on what to say on these sorts of things so when the gun's on me mate we'll see what happens but uh, or maybe even ask the questions that's my other role in life so anyway in the hot seat here but we'll, we'll see how we go thanks for having me well, on no worries mate. What, what do you normally do what's your what's your day to day your nine to five oh nine to five is uh we'll call it uh we'll call it corporate communications but uh luckily lucky enough to be able to work in something that's sort of very close to my passion working at cricket australia but uh yeah advising on various things to do with our, our communication strategy and approach, particularly uh, relevant to the Big Bash League, which uh, has its uh, has its mo- moments from time to time, especially this summer. But uh, all good fun and very fortunate to be somewhere like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Big Bash season this year, geez, you had absolutely challenges coming out of your ears with that. But we won't go into that because otherwise, this will turn into a three-hour version um, of the oh, podcast. Nice <laughs> I know you. Um, you're really good friends with um, Was, who was on uh, two two episodes ago now, and I know you've listened to that that episode. Um, what did you think hearing Warren's story? Obviously, from knowing Warren and then and then hearing it on the podcast. Yeah, Was is uh, Was is um, one of the louder voices in most rooms that he's in. And um, <laughs> but what one thing that we do find is, despite that, he's not really someone who talks too much about about what's happening. It's How's life at home? Yeah, it's all right. It's pretty good. Yeah, mum and dad are good. Oh, yeah, cricket's the same old. Like, So it's interesting just to hear Warren, Warren talking about the different things that make him tick. I think um, those who who know him probably can often see little things. You know, as you can see in everyone, there might be different things going on, but I, I found that uh, the way he was articulated, the challenges that he has, whether that's someone who comes from overseas or even someone who just, you know, potentially and he won't mind me saying this the words don't always come out of his mouth the way he wants yeah. them to like that's um you know even even doing that and he's, he's a sort of a brave undertaking in itself right so yeah and no, i'm really impressed with it and i think he uh, he really took a lot out of that experience as well 
Yeah, it was so much fun. And and from knowing was as well, you know, for him to, to put, you know, 55 minutes nearly to an hour um, together of, you know, clear storytelling um, and the light came through so clearly to me and it was just so much fun and it was it was awesome. But uh, Woz is a great guy, but, you know, this is not about Woz. This is about you, mate. So <laughs> let's get on with uh, with Matt Taylor's story um, on the High People podcast. I suppose it all has a beginning, as we say all the time, mate, but uh, where were you born? What was your early life? Where were you located and living and the like? Yeah, so sort of Sydney's been my, my life since uh, 11th of November, 92, Remembrance Day, 1992, when I was born. Um, Mum and Dad had been trying, I believe, for about four years since they'd been married in 1988. So sort of it's, it's always a good start. I definitely wasn't an accident and uh, I was definitely, definitely, you know, well-intentioned. So that was good. And um, yeah, so sort of living... In those days, out in suburb called Toongabby, which is sort of anyone who knows Sydney, sort of oh, Parramatta, Blacktownish sort of way, heading a bit west. And um, ironically, actually, backdoor neighbours with the guy I would go on to play first grade at Parramatta with, but never knew at the time. But um, we there lived out, go. lived out there. Hey, there you go, small world already, yeah. isn't that crazy? That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's not too many degrees of separation with most people. But um, yeah, so sort of grew up out out that way, and then. Uh, yeah, as our young family grew, I was the oldest of, of three. There were two of us and mum was pregnant with my sister at the time when um, we decided to move uh, to the northern suburbs area, Mount Cola, where dad decided he was going to build a house there in six weeks on his own after work <laughs> each day. So mum and my brother and I went to live at our grandparents. Uh, dad started the house. And yeah, he hasn't quite finished yet. Twenty-four years later, but uh, yeah, he's he nearly got it done in six weeks. He only just missed. So yeah, he sort of grew up in that Mount Cola uh, in in Sydney, and obviously that's sort of where a lot of the mate, best mates that I've got today come from as well. So that sort of ties in nicely there as well. Yeah, beautiful. So slowly but surely, you know, twenty-four years. You know, it's it's slowly getting there. Where, where is he up to? The, the bathrooms or the master bedroom, or where, where's he up to? Oh, well, the, the, the patchwork paint jobs of trying out the different colours on the walls have sort of been gone for a few years now, but he's um, he's actually just, he's nearly done now. I reckon there's they've got a wonderful sort of outdoor area outside, which is sort of known as um, the world's most expensive kennel, which sort of has, has sort of been tuned up nicely for the dog. So I think the dog was the catalyst for getting a lot done, uh, but uh, three children put up with plenty on the way. Oh, that's so good. And then so from, from moving into that area, did you go to school in that area? And, you know, what was school like for a, for a young Matt Taylor? Did, did Were you a fan of school? Did you hate school? Were you, I'm going to assume like a lot of the cricketers I talk to, you're there for the sport, surely. Well, funnily enough, I, I wasn't. I was, um, I was a real nerd. So probably to backtrack a bit, the year before I started school, didn't go to preschool or anything like that in that 12 months before because we were on the move while mum and dad were building so I was probably I was I think it's probably fair to say I was a pretty academic kid but I really struggled socially and so uh yeah went went to school at the local school and you know as he's with all great communities my mum actually still works there and she picked up a job through being one of the mums around around the school and now now works there as a teacher's aide but yeah I went there and um yeah I think I really yeah definitely definitely sort of struggled in that social center and as many young kids sort of sort of do and i think um yeah for many school was an organized social occasion but it probably didn't become like that for me until well into high school i think before it was very much a a, a sort of real straighty 180 kid who who didn't really get a lot of the nuance of that stuff i was i was there to learn and i didn't understand why everyone else wasn't there to do their best as well and Mm. um yeah how times change eh? But uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a very, yeah, school was an early days of school. There was a tough experience for me, but sort of funnily enough, I mean, I sort of through school, um, you know, signing up for a summer sport and, and cricket was the, the thing we all did. So I started Kanga Cricket, which is um, someone who'd be familiar to yourself and a few of the listeners, the great Bruce Kimberley OAM uh, running man. Kanga Cricket there. And uh, yes, he sort of ultimately taught me to play the game, which, and you know, Again, that's something that's brought us together as well. So still going all those years later, basically because of him. Yeah, wow. So, so you you didn't necessarily, you know, have the the social skills as you've said and and the like. Did you find that cricket 
aided in that or assisted or was it just something that you were just like, oh, I'm just going to pick up cricket and play? Um, I think it was because I wanted to be like everyone else. I think mm. that I, I didn't really know how to fit in, but if that's what they were doing and that's something I could convince mum and dad to let me do and we didn't, didn't come from a cricket family like my pop and my uncle were really into it and mum from childhood, I guess, sort of had a fleeting interest, wasn't really dad's go. So, you know, they were happy to let me go and do it. It's a good thing kids be active and so forth, but it was definitely not a, um, a pursuit for success. Or at least that wasn't the reason it, it started. It very quickly, like all things in my life, became about that uh, and, and, a, and a sort of a pressurised situation. But at first, it was truly about just trying to be like the other kids. Yeah. yeah. And what do you remember of that first cricket season? Do you remember, you know, playing or was it just... Was it fun? Were you, were you any good? Or how, how'd you go in the first couple of times? Oh, ho- hopeless. I was I was an uncoped <laughs> kid. I, and, and uh, yeah, a theme throughout life, which we'll, we'll touch on, is squeezing every ounce out of minimal athletic ability. And it still happens these days as, <laughs> as a broken sort of muscularly challenged, you know, bung hammies and shoulders and these sorts of things, but I still roll the arm over. But, um, you know, even back in those days, mate, really struggled with, um, you know, those sorts of things. I wasn't wasn't sporty at all, but sort of picked it up over the years and, and, and found a niche there with um, bowling my little spinners. And that sort of became a thing that I found that I was good at. And sort of you get to that 10, 12 years old and suddenly like that's the thing that I'm, I'm making like rep cricket teams with because I, I finally found something that I'm good at or better than than everyone else. So I really latched onto that because that was my... Uh, social currency a bit in a way as well like I wasn't great at making friends I didn't have the clothes I didn't know how to act cool I was you know everything was about try your hardest do your best be successful and suddenly in a sporting pursuit as well as academia and stuff at school I found a way of doing that and so that was that was my thing and 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 I sort of found that I really loved and enjoyed the cricket so suddenly like here we are we're like steaming through from a kid who probably wouldn't have known any better if mum and dad hadn't signed me up suddenly it's like you know as, as the years roll on it becomes all-encompassing yeah and then from knowing a little bit of your story and obviously the cricket world is so small uh you know everybody knows who everybody is and who you play for and how many runs you got and the like like you, you went on through i know particularly through high school and played you know a good level of cricket you know through hornsby reps and, and green shield um, and the like, and even the under-17s New South Wales squad, which is a fantastic achievement um, in itself, and not many people can say um, that they have that. So what was then high school like for you? you know, was it similar to, to public school? Were you a high achiever in, public, in, like, in school as well, in the primary and then the high school, all while managing cricket at the same time? Like, How would that management process go? Yeah, so I guess it was... Um... It was just sort of a further acceleration of all that and like sort of cricket and school and life and all these things are working in parallel and like so i went to normanhurst boys which um uh is uh, you know one of those sort of selective high schools so i sat the test and got in there so the, the good thing about that is you're around like-minded people so you're not getting eaten alive for, for being a nerd right like it's you know it's like <laughs> so Certainly, like, but what you find is that people who are, you know, really successful sort of academically, like, they're, they're typically often, because they're quite driven and self-motivated people, like, they'll often be, have other strings to their bow, like, you know, like great musicians or mm. sports people. Like, we, despite being a school full of nerds, we always held our own sporting-wise, except in a sport like, say, rugby, where it literally was about bulk and size and just steamrolling mm. over the top of people. Like we actually, on other things, we had, a, we really held our own. And so like I was one of those kids who was school all day and then, you know, moving through high school, you, you're training a lot, like a lot of afternoons a week, playing matches midweek, playing Saturday, Sunday. Like, you know, you, you talk about kids who get their L plates, my 120 hours, six months too easy. Like just <laughs> me and mum in the car. It was just mum yep. and I in the car for weeks. So I had a younger brother and a younger sister and dinner was sitting in the oven for them from half past three in the afternoon because mum would be taking me to cricket. And that was just, that was how it was. And I don't think I probably appreciated that sacrifice either until I got there. But certainly like through all of that, like definitely 
and sort of to the theme of a lot of things I've written about before and spoken about, definitely felt like I was always trying to prove myself. Like even when, you know, you one of the, the good players or whatever it might be, like nothing was ever enough, like always mm. wanting to be better. But that, that's that came from a level of insecurity, like and, and sort of inbuilt inane insecurity as well. Like you know, there's probably no reason for it. And a lot, no doubt a lot of other people may may have looked at me and thought, oh, he's got something I want, but I always looked at everyone else and wanted to be like them. You know, whether it was at cricket or whether it was the way they looked and dressed or whatever it was, like never, never really knew how to go from A to B, but always wanted to be like what they were. So, and yeah. I think that always, you know, then, yeah, it's, it's certainly definitely something that was a, a huge part of my, my childhood and life was, was always looking at other people and not really, ne- so never being satisfied with who you were yourself. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting reflection because I remember, you know, going through the juniors and all that cycle, he just triggered a memory of mine with training and the like. I remember there was a point where I would train Tuesday for NDs at grade, Wednesday for uh, my club team every so often or if I had something else, Thursday back at grade, Oh no, Wednesday was green shield training and then Thursday at grade training again. Friday was reps training. Saturday we played grade cricket, um, which was you know 80 overs in a day when I was playing lower grade. And then we had Sunday, which was uh, rep cricket, which was 60 overs at the time. Like, yeah. that's an insane amount of cricket. And then if you put that in perspective of I'm trying to be better, I'm, I'm training my hardest, but you know I really want what that guy's got. Like, there was always like that level from a very very young age and cricket's one of those sports where it's very easy to put people on pedestal if you play well you score hundreds you're better than everybody if you take wickets you're better than everybody if you can do xyz you're better than anybody do you think that this is something upon reflection now particularly in the in the junior days and we'll get to, to um grade cricket and the like that you know, you could see that, you know, sense of like, I wanted to be like somebody else. Was that something you were realizing at the time or is that something that you found, you know, in, in reflection? I don't think I don't think I realized it as clearly at the time. Like, I think, I think when, you know, with a bit of age and maturity and also, you know, actively um, engaging in understanding yourself and you know, again, to things we'll get to, like you actually ultimately sort of get a bit more insight into how you were thinking. So I didn't, I didn't know, like, I, I couldn't have sat there and to a direct question said, yeah, I was, all I was trying to do is be like them. But mm. I know that every time I was in the car on the way home with mum blowing up about something that didn't go my way or walking home from school and being stuck in your own head, thinking about what everyone else did that you didn't or all that sort of stuff. Like that's, you know, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight, that's what you're doing. But at the time when you, you're young and still growing, like you, I don't think you realise it as clearly. Like if, if someone sat in front of you and spelt it out, but, you know, we're, we're young when we're young boys and as soon as someone starts to try and offer us some insight, we politely walk in the other direction, right? So yeah. you, you tend not to listen too much. And yeah. even if you do listen, like someone telling you that you're thinking the wrong ways, not exactly going to change how you're thinking, is it? No, exactly. And grey cricket in itself is uh, a, a petri dish for that type of information, whether it's coaches, other players, opposition, giving you yeah. some friendly uh, bits of advice uh, as, you, as you're bowling, uh, to put it lightly like that. You, know, you started at Mossman um, Cricket Club and played a couple of years there. What was it like for you going into the, the grade scene? You know, Because cricket, grey cricket is, is something I think only the insular grey cricket or cricket community will understand. But now it's, it's it can be pretty intense sometimes. So if you're you know growing up and understanding and comparing, but also you know academically you know killing it and trying to hold a really high standard with that, but then really high standard at cricket, what's it like? All of a sudden you've gone into an environment where there's yeah. players that are older than you, probably better than you, um, but you're trying to compete against them as well. Yes, it's probably probably a few things. To start with, um, coming through the sort of the schooling that I went through, I was fortunate in many senses to maintain my my innocence about uh, regarding life in a few different ways it was a academically selective boys school there, there ain't a lot of contraband floating around like there's <laughs> not there's a few of the a few of the lessons that you learn in life 
maybe came my way a little later than others. Uh, and that might not be such, again, such a bad thing on reflection when kids are in a rush, right? But, but it is what it is. So sort of walking into there, an environment where suddenly like the rawest of, of, of men is just on show a, a lot. Like, and, and, you know, that, that's, this is sort of getting towards 15 years ago. And I think we could agree that, you know, sporting culture at both an elite and grassroots level is probably even different than it was for 15 years ago to now. Like, I think, I think we just look after our kids a bit better who come into the system, to be honest. Yeah. But um, so sort of going into that environment, I didn't really worry too much about the small, small fish in the big pond thing. Cause I, I sort of back my ability came in through what they call the green shield. So the, the under 16 system, I played two years of that. And the second year, um, there was a lot of guys that sort of left the club um, after a centenary year. And I got thrust into as green shield captain into second grade bowling little, wow. little tweakers and that, and, and to a non cricket person sounds like, yeah, whatever that, that's sort of like a, that's, that's a baptism of fire playing above your level. And it definitely shaped how I went about my game. I became a more defensive player because of it, because I had, that was my survival mechanism. And, and, I, and that was also how I became reliable and retained my position that I probably didn't deserve in the first place, but it was an opportunity I didn't want to give up. So suddenly, like, that looks really impressive on paper, but how it actually sort of formed my mindset and how I was going about my game, I, I didn't go through, you know, we're always very conscious with players and, and good clubs with systems have players going through very, very slowly and making sure they're, always ready for the next step and some people get there quicker than others but I wasn't I wasn't ready for it but I think my determination and my relative maturity was was appreciated but my skill set probably wasn't there um and and ultimately you know I say that now at 29 years old I reckon I'm nearly bowling better than I've ever bowled hmm. but I'm old and slow and <laughs> not as deep and the stamina is not there and nor is the, the training ethic and therefore the consistency. But I reckon I would be more effective in that grade than I was 14, 15 years ago as I am right now. But you know, that, that's not how it works. Like you find talented kids, you see who keeps going, everyone hits their wall and you move them on. So that was, that was sort of, yeah, but life was moving very quickly for me then. And, and yeah, it was, it, it was good, but I eventually left that the the club there just because that I, I could sort of sense that there was probably something missing at the time and that's not to to throw stones at those who don't have an opportunity to defend themselves but i i realized it was probably not the place for me but that doesn't necessarily mean i made a good decision with where i went next but it's what i did so yeah <laughs> well so you, you finished school obviously so because you're still at school while you're you're there um finishing school wrapping up um what was your life going to be post school? Are you going to hit uni, or and obviously we'll cricket aside for the moment. But you know, what's the the post school life looking like? What are you looking to do there? Yeah, so I I had my despite sort of trying to paint a bit of a picture of a fair of a of a scrambled kid. I I uh, I always had my sights set on being a sports journal, and that yeah. never wavered that one. So so I um, got marks good enough to pretty much do anything. But I still wanted to do something like, you know, everyone presumes you, you get a good mark and therefore you, you need to go and be a doctor or something. There's plenty of other, I know a guy who, who's a brain surgeon now, but that, oh, that didn't interest me one little bit. My, um, my bank balance these days tells me I made the wrong choice. But I, uh, <laughs> I, anyway, you live and learn. But uh, I always wanted to be a sports journal and that was what I did. So I went, went and did a journalism degree at UTS and I think, what I what I realised, and again, this is hindsight, is that I steamrolled through school, had the sports stuff in the background. You know, you've got getting towards the end of school and there's other, you know, you're sort of dabbling in relationships. I had a few things that sort of were going on there and, and the sort of the, the pressure valve is building a bit and and nothing, like the, it, it was just a balloon that kept filling up but hadn't really burst. And so in the balloon is, is all the air and that's all the things that I'm fitting in and still managing to do well, head above water, we're flying. But what I didn't realise was that that what 
I didn't, you just don't realize at the time and, and no one ever can, but it's not sustainable. And, and so, and I, I mean, I'm, it's nothing extraordinary. I'm not saving lives or anything, but I'd sort of hit what was my limit for the, for the balloon, if you like. And, and so I went into uni and I was doing that and trying to fit in jobs and trying to, and I'd sort of hit a bit of a wall with cricket that I was, I found a level, but I wasn't progressing further. And, you know, there's more things going on in life and sort of more dispersed focus and less structure around you. And then suddenly I'm dropping out of the pathway system with New South Wales. So I'm fending for myself. So less structured training and, you know, they, these things are sort of all coming together and, and um, yeah, and little did I know that, you know, that a burst was coming, but mm. yeah, sort of it's all just, that was, yeah, what was meant to be just a cruise into into uni and post school life sort of became, I guess, anything but real. Well, so I shouldn't say that. Things, plenty of stuff still went right. I, I'm not mm. painting a picture of catastrophe, but there was. I'd never faced. Oh, I think the best way to describe it is I'd never faced real problems. Yeah. Or yeah, I never, never, never knew I was facing them, and I, I know it sort of things started to come to the surface in those sort of years after school. Yeah. I think it's interesting because like I've, you know, sat through not on this podcast, but obviously talking with other people as well when they, um, you know, go through you know their their life and I suppose their issues that they've come up with. And yeah, I always think it's, um, I've learned something. I think it's never one to compare uh, problems, you know, because everybody has their own life and everybody has their own journey of how they, how they go through. Like I can resonate to some extent with people's story, but I can't fully because I'm not living through that what is an 11 out of 10 for them might seem like a two um out of 10 for me which i've always found really really interesting and i suppose you you said you know that the balloon analogy i reckon um is really really interesting and it was something when i read the the stumps to stumps article and your, your vulnerability and that was was amazing but something that that really hit me was you know, you're playing for Parramatta um at this time You've won a PG's uh, a PG's comp, which is an under twenty ones comp, which is incre- incredibly hard to win. Um, you're playing a little bit of first grade, a little bit of second grade. Your T twenty form is really really good. As like a in a sense an ignorance question, you know, why is what happens? You know, like your cricket's going really really good. W- what was um, happening in like the the other side of life? You know, like what was. Was it was it all intertwined, or was cricket really compartmentalised yeah. at that time? No, it's a it's a great question, and and probably the true answer to that is something that I only fleetingly touch on in the in the podcast, and this is probably where the the mental health stuff starts to weave in. So, if we sort of go back, going back to the whole sense of trying to fit in and be like everyone else, I went to Parramatta, and and I think it's fair to say that there's a number of great individuals there and people that I still, whenever I see them, I'm, I'm friendly with, but I wouldn't say that I keep in touch with anybody. And I wouldn't say that it was ever culturally the right decision. And I was, I, I, if I thought that, well, oh, how do I say this? I, I it, it just wasn't the sort of social circle that I would typically run in. And, and I, and that was actually, I felt like more of a small fish in the pond there than I had as a real youngster. So I'm sort of, 18, 19 years old, starting to, to move through. And yeah, as you say, at that club, a relatively successful player, although I didn't feel like it, um, mm, comparing myself to others. Mm. Um, and so to fit in, I, you know, one of the one of the things that was massive out at, out at para culturally, right, wrong or otherwise, was everyone loved the punt. And so, oh, well, not everyone, but enough people. And so to... And I had no idea. I hadn't come from a family who knew the first thing about that through school. My friends didn't know anything about that. And so that was sort of what what sort of became started as a way of fitting in ultimately actually became my uh, release and actually my way of zoning out. Now, there'll be, there'll be somebody here with some sort of health qualification listening that all just go, no, mate, don't worry. I understand the flaws and the thinking and whatnot, but... <laughs> But I, um, that was like walking into somewhere where there's lights and sounds and screens everywhere and there's puzzles to solve essentially and like you can become so engrossed that that was the first time I, that was the only place in the world I could switch everything else off. Mm. I didn't, I, I, I had no other way of knowing. And so what's where this is sort of leading is then like 
obviously what starts as recreation turns into not so much recreation as 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 a cycle which is sort of you know i'm very very happy and comfortable to call it addiction which is sort of it's all flowing here and it's like there's no rhyme or reason it is just and it is an outlet and and i didn't but i didn't fully realize that at the time and so suddenly like as i'm starting to move through whilst i was finishing university i got my first full-time job so there's still parts of life i'm succeeding at I got a job. I want to be a sports journo. Haven't finished my degree and I've got a job at Fox Sports. I'm still playing cricket at a good level. You know, I'm not even 21 yet. And, uh, you know, I don't ever realise the rush in life that I'm in at this point. Like, everything's sort of still going on. And because, and actually, instead of appreciating the success and it was always about what I didn't have and, and, um, and it just, and it was by the combination of fitting in there, not having all that much opportunity to earn a considerable income because I had that much else going on. Like everything's sort of building up. And so that was what started as a bit of a dabble in a way of fitting in, turned into like full blown addiction. And so mm. off field, life's falling apart. Like yeah. it's been sort of a key catalyst in uh, the first iteration of my high school relationship falling apart. Like, everything's sort of sort of compounding here and so finally like all these things the, the, you know this is the balloon filling up mm. and and it, the balloon's really full at this point and like mm. i'm nearly 21 i'm sitting there at work like doing sort of my, my, the two shift options which again is not outrageous but it was either 6 a.m to 3 or 3 till midnight so i did 6 a.m to 3 on days i had to train and then I'd go to training after that, get home sort of nine o'clock. So I was driving from Para, have a shower, get back up straight back to work six o'clock the next day, do that. I'd just squeeze those in through the week. So I could play Saturday, Sunday, back up, often would actually go and work Sunday night, the Formula One shift, and then have a wow. quick turnaround for a mid Monday. And so, and I'm trying to finish uni and all I'm, and I guess I'm trying to paint a picture of, I don't have anyone in my family dying. I don't have other things going on, but the balloon is just full. And yeah. every spare cent that I'm not spending on petrol or that I'm not spending on food because food was how I kept myself awake and I turned massive was just, was just I'd go and punt it just to, just to mm. get my mind off everything else. And so, like, there'd be days that I, I haven't actually said this before, that I wouldn't make it to training at Parramatta. Mm. I'd, I had my head so full on the way to training that I'd stop somewhere else and I wouldn't make it and then I'd drive home. Because it'd be, because I'd either be at whatever pub or whatever it was, right through the training session, or I would just, I would actually think I can probably save another five or ten bucks of petrol here because I don't have any money till next week, to and I'll just go home instead. Like that was where my head's at. I'm trying to be successful cricket. Like it's just life. Life is just sort of simultaneously succeeding and imploding, and yeah. and you're doing your best not to tell anyone you're only telling people what you have to tell them when you need to tell them. And yeah, wow. yeah that's, so there's, there's a lot going on there. Right. So, so, so to your question around, like, I think you sort of start to lead into like, how's it all about to fall apart at cricket mm. was like the, ironically the bubble burst against Northern districts in an under 21s game in my final season. And um, yeah, I, yeah, as, as I, as I wrote, I stood there and I didn't think the ball was going to get to the other end. Yeah, so that's and, that's the one thing I want to pick up on because yeah. that was that was huge for me when I read this. So there's there's a there's a quote I suppose or or a concept in in sport yeah. called the yips, right? Where you 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 don't know in a sense what's going to happen. But the way I probably describe the yips is is like a professional athlete. So golf is the perfect example. It's like the golf gets the yips over a two foot putt. In his career, he's probably sunk a million two foot putts. But there's, for some reason, a mental uh, block or space or process is getting in the way um, of an action. So when you said in your article, I'm at the top of my mark and I'm not sure where the ball's going to get to the other end or not. What's that feeling like at there? You know, you're standing there, you bowl your right arm off, yeah. you, where you're getting in your bowl your offies and you're going to go, I've bowled this ball probably a million times. But for some reason, right now, I've got no idea if it's going to get down there or not. Yeah, I've, I've thought about it at times and tried to wonder 
how that sort of came out because pressure situations in matches were what I love. Like, you know, I used to, at that club, I used to bowl the first, third, 18th and 20th over of a T20. They were like mm. basically the four hardest overs to bowl. Yeah. I used to bowl, <laughs> I just loved it. Like, but I'm standing in this under-21s game, a comp that, the, the one comp that was sort of the bread and butter. Like, I was like, yeah, I've got the handle on this, no worries. And and I'm bowling and I'm sort of just like, uh, the ball doesn't feel right. I, my arm, like, you almost like lose your muscle memory and your motor skills a bit. And it's actually hard to explain because... It's not a like it's not a conscious decision, but also like if something doesn't feel right, then you're trying to change it. But when you're problem solving on the run and not te- not trusting your skill set, and your head's full and your head's probably scrambled because you know I've, I've tried to remember like even what happened in the day or two before that day, and I can't remember, but I just know that oh, nothing nothing felt right, and I I wasn't. Yeah, it was a complete, it's almost a complete loss of muscle memory. Mm. And, and like, this is, you know, I would say probably one of the more repeatable skills in cricket, if we're calling a spade a spade, like this is, you know, especially even just at its most basic level. And I was thoroughly unconvinced I could do it. Like, and, and I, I'll never, I'll actually, I, yeah, I just walked off the field at the end of the over. I didn't know what was going on. I actually just didn't know. I was like, oh, I just, a bit dizzy or something, just need a break. And I didn't really go back on that day. And I got through the rest of the season somehow. But, like, but I don't know, where, what's a sporting analogy? Like, a, it would be like a baseball pitcher finishing the rest of the season, like, just shot putting the ball out instead of taking it right back yeah. and flinging it through. Like, or, or yeah. Like some, some, something like yeah. that, or, or like, the, like the soccer goalie who catches the ball but puts it down, lets someone else take the goal kick because they don't think that they can kick the ball off the ground. Like yeah. I was actually just to the point that I just, like I did it, but not really. And I was, it was, it was weeks of just fraught cricket. And I was just like, every, every, I need a break here. And so like, I've sort yeah. of got to this point yeah. now in life when I'm, no, I, was, I was 21 where, Suddenly, I feel like I can't play cricket anymore, which is what I've attached all my importance to. Um, got my job, but whatever. My relationships having issues. Uh, I'm broke. I'm fat. I'm like, I'm here. I am, and I'm just like, what do I do? Like, mm. but I can't talk to anyone because I'm I'm failing. Like, and and I've always been able to fix my own problem. Fiercely independent, off we go. So it's just like, oh. But and that that's the. And there's always been highs and lows after that, but that's that's the first like rock bottom point because slowly things had been, I'd lost everything and I didn't really fully understand, I guess, the why. And that's sort of the, I don't know, the story of the way up the other side, right? Is, is, the, is yeah. the how that's all come together, but yeah. Yeah, which is which is a good story. So we will get there. It's um, it's very, you said something there and I think I've, I've drawn a bit of a parallel in my head. It says that, he said it's one of the first times you know I've failed, and you know, and I and I mean that with um, respect in the sense of you know you've you've achieved a lot in your cricket career very early. You now you've played at the highest level in New South Wales um, that you can play very early. You've got fantastic HSC results, which has allowed you to pretty much do everything. So there is succession after succession after succession after succession mm-hmm. here. Now you're at a point where I'm. I'm done. I'm done with cricket. I don't even know if I can bowl the ball. What what was the, what was the next steps for you? How did you go from I suppose such success in that, albeit external and other factors? How did you then go? You know what what was the next steps for you? If you're quitting cricket, you know what did you do? What was the what was the next steps for Matt? Yeah, I think so. So it's probably. I mean, the first thing I did was was take a summer off and and um that was a as a strange thing sort of not you know it's a bit of autopilot go to cricket saturday go to training a few times a week you just do it and it's actually what you look forward to but although when you're in that headspace it's not what you look forward to but um yeah so i it was probably that point in life was my first attempt at engaging in some counseling and i convinced myself that my um all my problems in my life were 
because of my gambling issues. That's what mm. I convinced myself. And so like that's a pretty reasonable hypothesis. And yep. in any case, I need to get on top of this. So off we go out to counselling. And so uh, over the years, uh, I would I probably had about three failed attempts at it. And the, the failed attempts came out of um, at times being dishonest to the counsellor, mm-hmm. like because and that that was that was like the headspace I was in. I was I was happy to sit and talk, and I reckon there were even times they didn't believe me. But mm-hmm. what's it? What like? Well, what's a counselor going to do? Call your lie. Like, if you don't want to make the most of the session, like, that can only work with the information you give them. There's no point firing this up into a fight. So, like, I was elements of being dishonest, elements of being convinced I could fix myself, and also not fully understanding the problem. And to, and I, and I think so. That's sort of that's sort of going on. And also at different times off the field other things are sort of slowly getting a little bit better in life. There's still ups and downs and there's still a lot of, you know, digging myself out of a, a, a trough became a, um, actually just became like a bit of a um, non-event. Just like, oh, this is just what I do. This is, this is just how I live. So that's fine. I can, I'm resourceful. I'll be fine. I'll find a way. And I usually did. Um, but, you know, I sort of started to get back involved with, the guys at Mount Colin got closer to different people there that are sort of got closer friends and started to play cricket a little bit for different reasons. Um, not, not initially, but found a comfort zone among people who, you know, we weren't all worried about getting picked and dropped every week. So suddenly we're not playing to prove ourselves against each other. There's still elements of, yeah, the banter, which I'm all like to think that I'm often part of and I'll give as good as I get, but I'm, I was certainly not that element of, um, I'm here to achieve and aim to succeed in life. I just want to yep. win the game with people who are now my friends. So that's sort of going on. And so slowly those progressions are being made, but things still weren't weren't right. And um, I, I guess the ultimate come out story to skip ahead a bit more is uh, 20, in 2020, just after COVID hit, I was now down in Melbourne, living in Melbourne, working at Cricket Australia. So I've finished up with even playing cricket um, and I'm down living in Melbourne and on the road all summer and was absolutely knackered and COVID hit and I decided to come home and see my folks after my mum had had it. Mum had been one of the first couple hundred people to, in the country to have it. Yeah, right. And so I've come, come home, borders have been shut, I'm now stuck at home in Sydney and I thought, bugger this, I'm going to call up the last counsellor I saw and I'm going to commit to it properly and I'm going to fix this. And on about the second week she said, I'm telling you, I really think this is an anxiety problem. Everything you've described to me and that you have spoken about for years and years is an anxiety problem. And sorry, in terms of talking for years, I hadn't been seeing over that long. And I said, oh, all right, no worries, that sounds good. Good on you, let's keep working through everything. And over six months, she wore me down and told me to go and see a doctor. And when I say she wore me down, she finally convinced me that the gambling problem or the cricket issues or the relationship issues were a symptom of the anxiety, not the mm. other way around. Mm. That sure it's self-perpetuating and they increase the anxiety, but what the ultimate root cause of all the things in my life that have, I feel have fallen apart uh, are the anxiety. So when I saw a doctor, got some medications and within 48 hours, I was like, reckon I've wasted about 10 years here. Yeah. Wow. And um, again, things aren't always things aren't always perfect, but I noticed a marked difference so quickly that actually my first response was just to be pissed off. Yeah, because wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just felt like I wasted so much time. But but that ultimately through that and 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 the insight and understanding into myself, I gained through that process plus having a little bit of a leveler to help me out, just completely overhauled and enhanced my outlook on so many things and I guess accelerated the the, the, the maturity and the way I approach different things. And I don't want to say yeah. that in a really wanky way, but like not getting, not blowing up at small things where I think people are attacking my work. No, they're not. Yeah. They're probably just frustrated with themselves. But instead of getting my back up straight away because I'm trying to prove myself as a good worker. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, it's actually absolutely. Just, it just, and it's, again, life isn't perfect. But it's bloody refreshing. That's awesome to hear. It's awesome to hear. And the reason I say it's that because 
I only met you probably two, three years, and I reckon if we went back through the old My Cricket archives, we probably played mm. against each other when you were yeah. at other clubs and um, and the like. Um, but the first time that I was, in a sense, aware of everything that you've spoken about over the last 43 minutes was when you shared in this uh, in this article, which um, you know is a fantastic um, uh, stumps to stumps. Is just a fantastic way of you know hearing guys who have played great cricket and other cricket um, come together and, and talk about um, everything. And you were so uh, open in that, uh, particularly around like the role of counselling um, in your life and and you know the medication and these type of things going forward. I suppose a question I'm really keen to ask, and as someone who has been through um, a good amount of counselling as well and would encourage any person um, to go through counselling, mm. what, what's the, I suppose, the one thing that you really took away from it in the sense of obviously there was an improvement in yourself, which you're, you're happy about. But if you had to then share that with somebody and say, why should they go to see a counsellor? What, what would you um, talk about? So... Yeah, I, th- I think I think the main oh, I, I don't know, don't have benefits the right word, but I think the if you if you're hesitant about seeking help from especially from people whose job in life is literally help, hmm. the at, like at first if you, if you worry about it, like it, it can't get any worse. That person is, you can guarantee that person is not going to make it any worse. So so all the concerns. It's really easy for me to say in hindsight, just mm. to throw out all the concerns, but but those concerns don't stand up to logic. So so basically, if you are seeking improvement in your life and you just reckon something's not quite right, you may start it and it may not work out for you. But your life's no worse off from taking active steps to improvement. Like yeah, I think yeah. I think we're so, and and maybe I'm speaking too much about myself, but we're so we're so worried about like you know, failing, I mean, that, that small amount of time investment in yourself, you will, you will derive some kind of benefit out of it. Even if the benefit you derive is that this isn't for me. Like mm. it, it, rather than everyone telling you, oh, you should go and speak to someone, you should go and speak to someone, go on Matt, it doesn't have to be this hard, go and speak to someone. Like well, I tried and actually it wasn't for me, but like, yeah, you know, the, the benefit there is everyone's off your back or the benefit might be that it turns your life around. And I reckon, yeah. I, I, I haven't really thought about the answer to that qu- question beforehand, but I think that's what I would say that it can only it can only get better. Yeah. You just can't yeah. make it any worse. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I reckon it took a really good friend of mine, um, some serious prompting many and many a time. And I reckon I said to him that typical male responsive, I don't need counselling, like don't need somebody to tell me like what to do. Um, so much so now, it's the first thing I would encourage any person, male or female, but probably align to more of the blokes to to seek it out because I think you're exactly right. Like what's, what's going to happen? Like you have a person who is literally trained to try and process your thoughts and work with you, you know, to, to get yeah. to get better. Uh, in, in this sense, it's not as if that people don't go to counselors that are like, my life is actually awesome. And then here's some money and then, and then leave, you know, like it's, you know, they're there to, there to help you and, and they're to process with you. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think there's the absolute best counselor. Um, and then the one who ultimately, um, I guess probably got, got through to me. I felt, um, I didn't feel like I was letting, letting her down if I'd had a bad week or things hadn't all gone to plan or whatever. But, mm. but also there was an investment in the relationship and it, it took a while. And I was lucky that during, you know, this sort of the life that we're now all used to leading, it took until I wasn't in an airport every second day with my job. And I actually had the time to spend that hour on the phone or, you know, and it was in an off season. So I had less, you know, work was a little bit quieter and all these things like, so I, I fully recognise that life circumstances led me to it. If I'd known how valuable it was, I would have made time earlier. That's really easy for me to say on my high horse after the fact, but like it's, I would have oh, made. Mate, join the party, I man. I 100% said the same yeah. thing. Join the party. 
say the same yeah. thing. But I think that's also the crux of it, right? It's like people don't, you don't know what you got till it's gone or you don't know, you don't, you just don't try it or you don't understand it or you're like, oh, what's, you know, I think there's such a picture of like uh, a still to this day, which just hate, I hate these words coming out of my mouth, but a picture of weakness. It's like, yeah, like, you know, but you know what you need at that time? You need some help. It's like, you know, go and go and get some. Because like that's not a sign of weakness. That's actually a sign of strength in my mind that you're actually going to own what is your life and then be like, yeah, okay, help me out. I need something here. Yeah, and I, and I think also like the benefits of it, and I, I've always tried to be a really um, caring sort of sort of person. Like I, I'm, I think I've often been someone who there might you might see something and a lot of people will go sounds like a him problem. Like I'll go and yeah, ask yeah. the follow-up question and investigate. But what what it's really sort of also solidified in me is the importance of of looking out for people because I wasn't either in an environment where I felt I could ask for the support or the people who did try and support me, I pushed them away. Mm-hmm. Now, to recognise now also when there's people and, you know, there's I can even think of, a teammate at the moment who you know i just know he's not super super happy and i don't push that person a lot but you know you just got to make sure that like that person's i've been backed in their cricket or they know that you're there as a mate and then that's that's sort of your job but, but when that person does eventually decide it's time to come to you so then to be a really great listener and that was also i think the other thing with counselors like be like you know I've, I've done a lot of talking but you're actually just listening like yeah. listening is, is really, really powerful. And when people come to talk to you about that stuff, as a good counsellor does, ask questions and listen before you give advice because mm. there's often no easy fixes to the problems. And whether it's in asking people for solutions or looking for them ourselves, we can often sometimes look for the easy solution that's convenient and quick. Yeah. But a little bit of time investment goes a long way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Taze, this is your this is your high people podcast, mate. So you can keep talking about yourself, which is all good. But I want to I want to move us to life now. Um, life is as you, as you said is is on the up, which is fantastic to hear. And um, I suppose for one question I have, you know, you said you played Mount Cola for a little bit, um, and then you, you came to the greatest club in the world, NDS, um, which where you and I met and the like. What uh, on reflection of everything that you've just said, you know, from you know the burst, the bubble bursting, the not being able to bowl a ball, the quitting cricket, the off-field life stuff. Now you've come back to cricket, um, and you're working in an awesome job, and you're, and you're doing those type of things. You know, if we're to nail it down, firstly to cricket, what does that mean to you to be able to play cricket again? Oh, it's um, I mean it's it's. it's it's my first love in life and it's, mm. and it's, it's what I love doing. Like I, I, I'm, I take these days an enormous amount of um, satisfaction in, in seeing people succeed. I think I was probably in hindsight always made to be the old bloke who the kids from the lower grade come in, succeed and move on and you just <laughs> stay put. Like, and, and I, I actually, I, I enjoy that. I, I enjoy, you know, watching you know as i boss been been playing a lot of the year with another two young spinners i love seeing them take wickets like yeah. that you know and 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 seeing seeing good things happen and and being part of a a great organization that that you know has built a winning culture through a lot of respect like you know i mean it's to, to plug the club like it wins spirit of cricket and club championships this means you were the best people as voted by the umpires everywhere, not just some arbitrary decision, and you were the best cricketers. Like yeah. to do to do that and to maintain that as a standard is is a really satisfying thing to be part of, hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And now, like to tune into life. So the cricket side of things is all good, and uh, you're playing in a, a, a successful club as well at the moment. Hopefully, the boys can can keep going um, this year. We can get a club championship and a couple of other premierships and the like. But, but to, to finally, I suppose, to wrap this up, to put a bow on the on the podcast, mate, life going forward, you know, what's it, 
what's it looking like um, for you? How are you feeling? Um, you know, obviously with everything that's gone on, what's I suppose your way of, of, of managing, you know, looking in hindsight, I suppose is one of those things, but, you know, managing previous life and then ensuring that, you know, the life um, going forward is, is something that you can continue to be positive about. Oh, tough, tough one because I reckon the one thing that I still don't do enough is nail the process. Like, and and that might, and, and that's not about me having a prescriptive routine every day. But I reckon something I'm still really ordinary at is personal admin. And I think, and and like, I don't wake up at the same time and go for a walk to the same place <laughs> every day, or or have the same routine. Like, I'm an absolute shambles at home, and I, and I still haven't got to <laughs> got to that yet. But I think. To, I think actually continuing, continuing to trust that the people around you are more interested in helping you than judging you, is 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 the best thing. Like, and I keeping keeping the calm, keeping the composure. Like, nothing's ever as good as it seems. Nothing's ever as bad as it seems. All that sort of stuff is is so important because when I was riding real highs and real lows things were just getting out of control. And there was a situation with, with, you know, working with the work I do recently. And, you know, we were that sort of that Christmas new year period was probably the most stressful period of work mm. I've ever been through. And I found it really hard to separate life and work, but that's also like, I noticed I was mentally heading in a certain direction. I couldn't tap out and have a break. It just wasn't time to do that. But straight after we finished, like I just took, I just come off the back of two weeks off. Like I was someone who would never take a holiday because I was scared of missing out on some important work as though sure. like yeah. people couldn't do it for me. Like, hello, wake up to yourself, mate. But like, that was the sort of way I approached <laughs> everything in life. You can't miss out. Always yeah. have to be there. Can't, you know, and I think just having a measured approach to things, which only comes through practice and learning is, is so important because otherwise, you know, otherwise the balloon will start to fill up again. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And as you, perfectly said um in the end of your article and it was the title of it and something i want to finish with today as well is that the sun will come up in the morning what does that mean to you yeah that's um that's something that uh mum says and she so when, yeah when i referenced the wise person in the article that's mum i think she pinched off someone else but it's perfect like it just no matter what happened how you know however bad the day was like there is always another day hmm. like well, until until you're dead there is always another day like and yeah. and there is always an opportunity to have a better day than you did yesterday and i and i think that's that's really important because otherwise yeah you can just it it can just compound and and i you know i'm still in some ways paying the price of that compound over years but also in other ways like i've seen what it's like and it's pretty grim so yeah. yeah well mate it has been awesome to chat and as you know i find with every single one of these podcasts 56 minutes has literally gone like that um which is just awesome and firstly thank you for obviously your your vulnerability around around your life that is not easy for um people to share but i think it's a real testament to yourself that you uh, can have that level of vulnerability to share with you know us and the, and the audience that that will be listening so Mate, thank you for being on. It's been awesome. Um, it's great to go through it all. And obviously the lessons and, and everything in the hindsight, I think are really important. And I think a lot of people are going to take some some serious learnings um, out of this. And it's awesome to hear you're well and fighting. And like I said, bring home another trophy for NDs, please. I'm, yeah, I'm a nervous watcher and I'm, I'm watching very closely in my first year of not playing cricket. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm watching nice and close. But it's just awesome to, to hear from you and, and hear your stories, mate. It's been really good. Uh, thanks, Clay. Clay, appreciate that. And thanks for having me on and giving people a, a, a platform to have a bit of a chat. And yeah, I think all I'd finish with is if there is anybody who's, you know, have, having their own issues, I found there was an amazing amount of people came out of the woodwork from all different walks of life that I'd met and hadn't sp spoken to for many years after I, I wrote something a little while ago. And, you know, if if there is anything you want to ask or have a chat about, you know, there's, uh, I don't know, tag my Instagram handle or something we made and, and let people know there's a way to way to reach out and yeah as 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 we say mate the sun will come up in the morning i love that and let's end it there so good taste thank you so much for coming on mate it's been awesome Great.